I'm actually worried about swinging right now. Why? Because we're going to Penticton tomorrow. Yeah. And I wanted to get a session in this week where I just did capex kongs and swings because i'm pretty sure that's what the skill challenges well, are going to be that's parkour that's kind of mostly what you can do in that gym i'm joking by the way like you don't have to hit me in the comments with look it's not parkour sorry go ahead <laughs> uh they also happen to be things that are like mentally more difficult from because as i've returned to parkour my my initial return to parkour was like just mostly jumping yeah <laughs> just getting and so kind of built up some mental for that and then as as i've got back into it more i've started to realize like oh this particular skill challenge was not scary a few years ago and it's scary again now mm -hmm. so i need to get in some reps wanted to get in some more reps this week didn't happen so we're going to this competition tomorrow it's and uh it's gonna be it's gonna be some skilled challenges. It's funny that you say like that that jumping was like what you kind of mm -hmm. defaulted to coming back from injury because it feels like jumping has always been a big part of your practice, but yeah. culturally, when I moved to Vancouver, it was all about the jump mm -hmm. you know so like um and I think it's reflected in also like the spot choices, so like. You, I think, will tend to prefer like jump heavy spots, whereas like if we go to jump heavy spots, I'm like, ah, I just wanna <laughs> put my hands on stuff. <laughs> I'm an arm guy. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I I think some of it, and I was trying to ask Nathan this Nathan this question this week about you know what what kind of spots do you want to hit, like what kind of challenges do you want to do right. because. For me, usually if I'm doing a line, there needs to be something, like the most exciting lines for me usually have a highlight of something that out of all the things that I can do, I'm a little bit better at this, mm -hmm. right? And yeah, so like I think of all the lines that I've enjoyed over the years and there's usually like a jump. Yeah. I don't know, whether it's like, a running jump or a plyo or a precision or something in the challenge yeah that's that's what i put a lot of time into yeah it feels like like and for me it feels especially difficult going to jump heavy spots because right now jumping hurts mm. <laughs> and so so i'm like i'm even more in the realm of like arm stuff yeah, I, I try to resist it, too. Um, and, you know, could do more <laughs> arm stuff. Because it's not that I don't enjoy a lot of other parkour movements and, you know, am capable. No, but it's not. It's it's like you, you don't avoid those skills, mm -hmm. but it's clear there's a preference. Mm -hmm. And I feel the same with me is like, I mean, I'm definitely avoiding jumping right now, but it's like jump heavy spots. Ah, yeah, I'll, I'll go and I'll do some jumps, but at a certain point I'll be like, ah, it'd be cool if there was like something to put my hands on. Yeah, I think part of it is definitely like an ego bias for me too. I think I think what happens in, because we, we we've been talking to the youth team kids about this too, about like making a line and 
as you're adding moves to your line, don't just add moves for the you know, I can do that. I can vault over and back a wall a bunch of times and it's, and it's not exciting. So try to add things that are exciting and I'll usually get excited if there's like one, you know, kind of difficult challenge or whatever, but then if there's a jump, I can connect into it. Yeah. But it's because that, that allows me to perform on something that I feel very good about. Whereas if it's, if it's two hard moves, but I'm, I, but those th two things aren't the things I'm best at. Yeah. Part of it's going to be ego where I'm like, Oh, this well, is really hard for me. And I'm not going to get, I'm not going to feel as much payoff after completing it. Yeah. Well, man, I feel like you'll still feel the payoff, but it's going to, you're going to like, especially if you're filming it, you're going to look at it and compare it to what you've seen others do potentially and be like, ah, oh, well, it's not that big of a catback, so it doesn't, <laughs> but it, it was hard for me. So it's, I don't know. I feel, I feel like, I mean, I'm not the best at jumping. I can't jump as far as Tim champion can, but like if I achieve a jump that was difficult for me, it's still a rewarding experience. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you not have that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I do. Um, I just, yeah, sometimes it comes, it comes down to like, the the scale of things too like if we we've talked about this before or i've talked about it with you where uh, you know kongs for example like a kong pre is usually yeah. like a small jump there's not a lot of air time it doesn't it's it doesn't always it, you know you, you you go through the battle of achieving it and then like you get a video and you're like oh it doesn't look very big <laughs> but a jump is always like you know, it's a jump is the biggest thing you can do. You're, you you can't get more output with any other movement other than maybe a, like a massive swing mm -hmm. might be the only thing that you can. But still, I don't think people can swing further. They can jump, I think, uh, particularly if there's a run up involved in the jump. So so I'm going to stick to, you know, I don't know, maybe we'll get some comments on this, but I'm going to stick to that jumps are uh, the is... thing that you can do in parkour that gives you the most output and output meaning the furthest distance that you can achieve can always be achieved by a jump. That, and, and I think that's also what attracted me to parkour a lot in the beginning. And so, yes, I, I definitely gravitate. That's a really it. interesting question to pose. It's like, I don't know, let's take like the elite jumping and swinger of Tim champion. Mm -hmm. Can he swing? and land further than he can running jump. Well, I think his, uh, like if he giants into mm -hmm. it in let's giant into a sand pit, mm -hmm. like how far is he going to land that lashay relative to like a full approach running takeoff? I think, pro I think you're right. I think probably a running takeoff is going to do it, but I don't know, man, that guy can swing real far. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's also the difference of, of structures. So if you, if structure A is a bar and structure B is a wall, sometimes, actually oftentimes, if, if you are an elite swinger, the, you'll get more of a swing than like starting on the bar and doing a standing pre or even plyo. Because I, I can't imagine the, you know, the, the, the biggest swing in the gym as far as distance is just over 17 feet. Yeah. And I can't imagine someone standing on top of the bar and hitting the standing pre or striding or doing a plyo into it. Cause there's also like a crazy drop involved. 
but yeah, it works guess, as a swing. Well, it's just I, I guess I was just thinking apples to apples comparison of like where mm. does the bar start to where is the landing? That is the distance, mm. and then there's a running takeoff on the ground in the same kind of. Yeah, I mean it's definitely jump. Then I think that's yeah. Like, okay, it's kind of proven with with uh, world records and whatnot. Yeah, but if you're but if you're talking about on the structure. Mm. itself like so if you have to jump from that bar and land on that wall it's it's not happening unless you have a perfect approach which i don't know even mm. then it's still kind of messed up okay so this went this conversation <laughs> went a different direction than i thought it was going yeah, to <laughs> yeah. yeah um yeah and I'm, I'm thinking you know this uh this past week i i did a line that i'm uh, very happy I got done and it's got a jump. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's got two jumps actually. <laughs> two jumps, yeah. And some vaulting. <laughs> that was yeah. That was a cool line. I liked uh, I liked the way it came out. Um coming to a vlog near you. Yeah. <laughs> so we we were blessed with some some good weather that we weren't gonna talk about. Um <laughs> I'm now mentioning this week in Vancouver, we got in two sessions with uh, some of the other coaches and athletes from the gym. Did some did some vlogging. Uh, got some got some really good lines, and I'm I'm trying to think if we're well. We talked about this off camera, but you know about saving some of the the clips versus putting them into a vlog. And I think I think we're just gonna do both. <laughs> well, I guess technically it's not called saving a clip. Mm. If, if you we, if you put yeah. it out first, but, but yeah, I think I, I think in terms of like putting content out is a uh, it's not a problem. It's like um, I don't know. Dump. Can we can we talk? Sorry, can we talk about the save your clips for ha a bit hashtag? Here? Yeah, yeah. No just we'll, just well, the hashtag and and just the concept. Sure, let's talk about it. Yeah, because because I think when. And I, I'm I'm actually going to credit like Jimmy the Giant for well at least popularizing the the concept of yeah. of saving your clips um, and then hashtagging it and I don't know who did the hashtag first but but I mean he, he again he definitely contributed to popularizing it so it's it's this and I think it came at a time where a lot of people were putting out compilations and and it was and, all Instagram stuff yeah or just posting like weekly and and there weren't weren't enough projects to, to note of at, at the time that he made that YouTube video. And that's definitely not the case anymore. There's actually a lot more that we see. But is it worth it to hold on to absolutely every clip that you're going to put into a project for the sake of the project and then not have regular social media content as an athlete? This is a really good question, and it could only be answered from the individual perspective of the athlete, I think. Because you define what worth it is, right? So mm -hmm. you might have some banger clips that if you were to put them out on IG, then they would perform really well get you a bunch of views, get you a bunch of likes, maybe add some followers to your follower account. But the question is how much is a follower worth? 
and how much do you value the followers on Instagram versus how much you value the piece of art that you're gonna try to put together with this save your clips kind of video. So, and that's a totally individual perspective. Like for me, for like dive holes, I, that project was entirely around like, I wanna put out something that include, doesn't include anything that's been put out before and is a totally unique viewing experience. And so therefore, um, like every, like every clip you couldn't, you couldn't, you wouldn't get bored of it because you've seen it before. Um, was that the right move? I don't know. I mean, it only got like six, six or 7,000 views on YouTube versus the potential of each individual clip could have gone even higher than that on Instagram if I had put them out individually on Instagram. So to me, it was definitely worth it because I put together a project I was really proud of. In terms of viewership, like, doesn't it like, yeah, I would have been so much happier if it got, you know, a crazy amount of views or something, but it, to me, it was still more worth it to value the project over like eyeballs. But that's not necessarily gonna be the case for everybody. And I know you're saving clips, <laughs> so. Yeah, the same. Why, why haven't you put those out on Instagram, you know? There's a couple of reasons. One is just because I, I started, so much time's gone by. And so I'm already, <laughs> I'm already just committed to that idea but uh as i said to you about about the line that that we captured this week that i intended as the first line i was going to do as part of like a 20-year project okay but a 20-year project is kind like it doesn't have a theme it's kind of a compilation and so now i have to make the decision as to whether or not this post is going up like this, this clip is coming out in the next week or so, or yeah. if I am going to just hold on to it. Cause originally I was thinking holding on to it and now I have to, <laughs> if I do that, I still want some of the material to be included in the vlog. So it might just be, and it might just be like a new type of, cause I haven't seen a lot of vlogs like that where, and I always wonder how like, you know, store does it or whatever, but vlogs where you, show or you're like showing the process like okay we're out and oh someone in the crew found something they want to do for this project so we're going to show you a little bit of it but we're not going to show you the whole thing because i actually dig that as uh just an experience as a viewing experience because i think it gets me more hyped up for like what's what's, what's about coming. to come yeah. yeah and it's just like a really early taste and then so for like someone's um really bought in fan base they're gonna see that and, and start to anticipate. It's just like, it's like a super, super, super early like movie announcement. Movie gets announced and then, you know, little teasers come out and then a trailer and then, you know. And yeah, I see what you're saying. Plays this nice little long game. Um, so I might just do that. I might just put uh, like some of the attempts and um, I don't know. <laughs> I'll have to yeah. show, have to I'm show sure you there's a way you could cut it together yeah. that like doesn't show the final clip but mm -hmm. does include like elements of it that make you excited to see the final clip. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I don't know. 
because part of it is like trying to get, I think it's important and it's, it's, it's certainly important for us. Like we're trying to put out more, more media, more, more content as they say, um, but more, more media in general um, in order to increase like brand awareness around origins. Right. And so, and that includes putting out as much, as much information as we can for free um, and as much uh, showcasing of, of athletes as we can. But as soon as you start holding back the, the machine that is, you know, <laughs> I know the machine you're thinking of there. <laughs> as soon as you start holding back the, the content machine, you slow that down. And now all of a sudden you're not getting the, the daily or weekly content that you need to feed the content machine. <laughs> and and that, that, that's what works. That's what's proven to work for algorithms on every platform is volume, volume, volume. And then, you know, the, the following starts to build. So the thing with, the thing with like, save your clips type projects is, or just like YouTube, edits in general is that they're not always optimized for vertical viewing. So like for a reel on Instagram, mm -hmm. it's not like, for instance, dive holes, there's like a number of clips in dive holes that the way it's shot, you cannot cut that into a vertical like viewing experience. Mm -hmm. It just looks like it cuts off so much. Um, so, and I actually had this, I had the idea, well, it's not an idea. It was just the thought that, yeah, maybe like after I put out dive holes, then I'm just going to go and like put out each individual clip on Instagram eventually. And then, you know, and then I, well, I kind of lost interest in my own personal Instagram, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, that was a big roadblock too. It's like when I'm looking at these clips, it's like uh, just full frame dive me, my whole body just horizontally across the entire frame of, uh, of the video. So it's not optimized for that. And there's like some things you can do with like keyframing, but even then it's not going to work perfectly. And I think that's an interesting factor that comes into play is like, when you're filming parkour, are you filming on your phone or are you filming vertical or um, are you filming, uh, well, are you filming vertically or are you filming horizontally? Because one is optimized for one platform and, and the other is optimized for the other platform. Or are you doing both? Mm -hmm. And in some, some of the things that we did on um, earlier this week, we, had somebody with a phone, somebody with a with a gimbal camera, right? Yeah. So well, and that's modeling after like the successful parkour teams. It's clearly what happens, yeah. you know. If you got a crew crew of guys and someone's throwing down something, you got the the main camera on it, getting the the YouTube, and then you got someone uh, thumb gunning from far away with a phone. That's what, it been a huge benefit to having. Crew. There's been a number of really big benefits to having a crew, um, but. I've actually been more like over the years, like whenever I film projects, it's usually just like me and one other person, um, maybe two. And 
you know, that experience is, has always been good and that's always been what I've preferred, but having a crew has actually been really helpful, especially when filming content, but also for other reasons, uh, which we could get into the, this other topic we were talking we, about. We can, we can. Um, before we, before we leave the, uh, save your clips concept, uh, cause you were just talking about, uh, this versus this, right? And I do think this style of video, it's, it's fascinating because it's so wrong in terms of like what makes sense for cinema. Like the, <laughs> what we refer to sometimes as landscape now, or, uh, but even on cinema, it's like anamorphic, right? The reason there's 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 reasons why like this gets cropped like for 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 a movie because of how your eyes like how you see things, right? And so close this is this does not actually work for how you see the world, right? Because you actually do see the world more wider, right? Um, and it's it's. It's a development that only happened because of devices. Yeah. Which are not going to last forever. Eventually, and it could, when I say eventually, it could be very soon. It could be like in the next year, Apple drops something where it's like you put a hologram shows up on a wall or something, you know, something crazy, you know. You got a wall? All right, cool. Point your device which this is probably going to be too big point your little watch thing press a button and like it pops up on a wall and then you're watching something or like or glasses yeah or you know that are eventually like brain implants <laughs> and so so i think there's going to be this weird period in time and and i always think it's it's uh it's just an observation that i've had about when i see compilations come out that are all for, like in parkour that are all that 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 uh vertical thing and I think there's going to be like this period of, um, in time where all of that stuff actually gets lost. Yeah. Because, I, because you have like decades of, of uh, horizontal or, or like anamorphic type videos. And then you're going to have this, this like five year period of, of the tall boy. Yeah. And then, and then it's going to turn into something completely else. Well, but we're all still gonna have, like movies are not gonna change. Movies is always gonna be this big thing. If anything, we're just gonna have more like IMAX theater type experiences. So this has already actually happened mm. within, within the, the phone. Mm -hmm. Instagram has changed the way that it does video to go into this tall boy. Yeah. Cause if you, so like, it was funny cause I was just, I was showing somebody a, um, Instagram, like an Instagram clip from like years ago of something I did and the way that it, like, it's not at all optimized for the current way we view Instagram. Mm -hmm. It's this weird, like it's a horizontal video with bars on top of it. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so weird that just, you know, five years ago or six years, you know, Oh wow. Okay. Seven years ago, <laughs> seven years ago, it was just a totally different viewing experience on Instagram, the way that we shared and viewed video. And now it's completely changed to this vertical situation. So mm. if I wanted to like, if I wanted to show somebody a clip that I did seven years ago, they're going to have to look at this really awkward 
tiny video with bars on top of it. Mm -hmm. And now, like, I don't know, seven years down the road or even sooner, people, like, if I wanted to show a clip of that I did on my phone at the, you know, in this period, they're gonna be like, oh, this is a weird viewing experience. It's gonna be this weird skinny thing. Like, again, you might be able to project it. Yeah. I, I think projections is probably what, you know, every sci-fi thing I've ever watched mm -hmm. <laughs> points to that eventually we're just gonna be able to project stuff out onto walls or into space and it's gonna be this weird skinny frame. <laughs> it's not gonna make you know any what, sense. You know what might be able to happen though? We, mm -hmm. might, we might be able to train an AI to fill in Ooh. the outsides of it. You know what I mean? How that's, sick would that be? That's probably what's going to happen. Yeah. So it's like those videos will just, we'll still have the videos, mm -hmm. but we'll just be able to get, we'll just have it filled in with predictive knowledge of the, uh, of the spot and the, the movements that happened. Yeah. Oh, so, so It'll be like AI combined with Google earth combined with some yeah, parkour. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Uh, be wild. Um, <laughs> okay, that's that's all I have to say about um, Savior Clips. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So going back to crew, Everything. right? Yeah. So so having a crew out. Mm -hmm. So like there was an experience yesterday just with filming, right? Mm -hmm. Where we had a camera, a gimbal camera, going. Mm -hmm. We had a handheld or tripod camera. Um, Josh had his like camera with a fisheye lens mm -hmm. and then we also have phones in everybody's pockets so we could be filming on basically multiple different devices and that can be Sorry, fed I'm losing, losing you in the frame. And, <laughs> oh, yeah. So that could be fed into um, a vlog and we have now like a ton of different uh content generating uh, devices so so that was that's really cool because you know and then there's still like some people who could be out like and still be training or, or like working on their line for when it's their turn to get their piece filmed or whatever it is mm -hmm. so um so that's a really cool experience but the the coolest experience of having a crew i've ever had was uh happened yesterday and uh uh you were obviously there for this but mm. i want to tell the audience and here. so so i wasn't there for how it came around i, I had oh, to yes. i had to imagine and so I, I do need you to explain um and this is going to go into um uh, some of the other topic we're going on to today which has to do with uh safety measures so spotting and mats things like that and what makes sense, what doesn't make sense in parkour. But yesterday, something yeah, so definitely made sense. We were, can I, can I set it up here? Can sure, I, can I set it up? We were, uh, Tom has a, a, a dive hole that didn't make it into dive holes. That's right. And it was definitely on your list. It, actually, before I even get into this, is there, are there other ones that were on the list for dive holes that didn't get in, or is this the only one? Yeah, no, there is... Um, I think two others that I can think of that weren't, that, uh, didn't make it into dive holes because mm -hmm. I never got around to doing them. Um, so like probably about three of them okay. total. So this one's really cool. It's, uh, a 360 underbar, And I think the only other guy who's really like known for 
for pushing this type of movement right now, as is our favorite, Mr. Scandrit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this one, it's a, it's this weird rectangle with a corner that you got to go over space. And, and you started looking at it yesterday. And I was like, I, I, I came over and I said, I'm going to pretend to to work on this with you just to, you know, just so you have, because I, I, I do think that helps to have someone, you know, so you're not like the only, everyone's doing jumps over here and you're the only one doing it or whatever. And we were kind of doing the usual progressions where it's like, okay, we're going to sit on the first structure that you got to dive over and then turn to grab. And if you're listening to this, you're not getting this sweet visual experience I'm giving right now but you're gonna turn and grab the bar and try to pull yourself through. And that wasn't helping. Like, and I was, we were just it talking helps, about- like a little mm-hmm. bit, but mm-hmm. like to the point, to get you to the point where you're committing to diving head first through this space, where there's a significant drop if you don't end up grabbing the, mm-hmm. the bar, it, it's like, it, there's no, there, there was no like, way to bridge the gap of fear in my mind yeah and so we were we were playing with that and it was like oh do we try to like jump and sit on the first wall which is this weird corner and you got to watch your head still and then reach and maybe if you do that faster over time like we and but eventually what happened is is i was uh talking to some other some other guys about what they were doing and it it seemed like you had went away from the challenge and then what happened yeah, I mean, I walked away and I was just kind of like looking around at the crew and I saw there was like, Ollie was working on a line. And then I look over and I see the two biggest guys in the group and they're just kind of standing around. Maybe they're grabbing water. And I was like, hmm. And Silas, he's one of them. He he asked me, he's like, he's like oh, like, how's it going? And I was like, scheming (laughs) and then uh and then i pulled both of them aside and i was like okay listen silas lucas you guys humor me for a minute they're like yeah yeah what and i was like have you ever been to a rock concert (laughs) and they were like yeah yeah yeah, totally and i was like you know what body surfing is (laughs) or crowd surfing (laughs) and they're like yeah 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 and i was like do you guys think you can crowd surf me? <laughs> and they're like, yeah, totally. So I basically brought them over and had them stand in the gap where the, um, where the dive hole was and basically have their hands up. And I, and we, we prepped it by, you know, I sat on the wall and I just kind of like fell into their arms and they just like held me there. So, it was, it was the perfect experience for spotting because it gave me the confidence to dive through knowing that there's gonna be two sets of hands catching my body as I, as I went through. And so we have footage of this now mm-hmm. of me diving through and like being caught by these two big dudes and then just like easing me down into the swing and then it kind of progressed to fewer, like less and less um, uh, like contact to the point where I felt confident enough to do it on my own. And uh, yeah, it's, it's funny because this is a dive hole that I've been looking at for, for a few years now. And 
I wanted to include it in dive holes because it wasn't the same type. It, was, it wasn't a dive roll or a Kong. It was a diving like, like reverse underbar or 360 underbar or whatever you call it. And, uh, and so, but I, like, it was funny because before, every time I've worked on it before, I've gotten to a point of like kind of committing to jumping, sitting, and then grabbing, but then I'm stuck there. There's no, there was no bridge of like, I feel confident enough to dive fully through this. Um, because even though it's unlikely my hands were gonna miss, it felt like if my hands did miss or I like fumbled the bar, I would be falling and putting myself in an extremely vulnerable position. So this was a scenario where spotting was not only got me more confident, but it was actually a very safe way to progress. Yeah, is, is, <laughs> I, I'm very excited to uh, edit and, and, and put it out because I think it's, it's, I haven't seen that before. And we were, we were comparing it to like backflip spotting where, where like if you're teaching someone how to do a backflip, in a lot of ways, like you were using them to teach your body to commit to the, the move. And so you start off with a backflip where you're, you're really carrying a person a lot of times, right? But depending on how much they commit, like you, it, it can suck to be the spotter sometimes. You really have to carry. But if you got two people, especially yeah, especially if you have two people, yeah, you can really just kind of yeah, you can do a thing you. where you, both you have your your hand like behind them and you're just lifting and flipping them over, and then and then you just provide less and less assistance until their body's doing the whole move. But but it does so many things. It it puts when you're doing it for a backflip, you can correct too. You can like. If a person's jumping too far backwards, you can stop them from jumping too far backwards and put them on the right track, right? And it's so easy to do with kids uh, because you can manipulate their body like way easier than an adult. And it's just like, oh, an adult, you're just like, okay, you better do your job because yeah. <laughs> uh, otherwise I have to like really do my job. And so this was very similar to, to the final point where they were just like, okay, we're gonna be here like this. We're just gonna be here holding our hands out um, and then you gotta you gotta send it, and then they, they moved away, and then you got some reps in, and then we we filmed it. Um, and when I think about spotting in parkour, when I think about spotting, because there's there's some very bad spotting that happens, but I also think about mats and things, and I think about like what when is it okay and when is it not okay to use assistance to basically learn a movement. And, and I think for me, it's okay if the movement is actually learned. I think it's not okay when I see someone use a mat and then do with mat and then do once without mat and then they're done. Because in those circumstances, and this, and it, I guess it varies person to person, but in those circumstances, often what happens is they didn't actually learn to remove the assistance. So in this case, I think you, you probably ended up doing it like five times or more without, without the guys there. And, and if you can actually take from that experience and if you find another reverse underbar that's of a similar size, you, you have this built confidence now because that's another way you could have achieved the challenge in the first place, right? Yeah. Is if you had found gradually bigger and bigger 
mm-hmm. reverse underbars to do, you, you start to trust your ability to be like, yes, I've, this is familiar. I've, I've dove this far. And so I think as long as there's, there's growth that happens from, the, from spotting or from mats, I'm, I'm all for it. I'm, I'm all for like whatever needs to, you know, use whatever tools need to be used. But I, I too often see, in particular in the gym, um, particularly with like newer generation, where because they have all the tools, they lean on them and then there doesn't seem to be uh, the same growth that occurs sometimes. But, but a lot of times if it's like, I'm going to use all these tools until I'm confident to just send one, get a, hu- get a huge adrenaline dump from the one send and then be done with it. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree with this pretty, pretty strongly. I, I have, I go back and forth about it in terms of the use of mats. Um, because sometimes like using mats is gonna, it's gonna give you more opportunity to gain experience and through gaining experience, you're going to be better off in the long term, you know, years down the line, because you have the additional experience of you doing the moves. The problem with it is that I find that is the the goal isn't for any one jump or skill to be achieved, right? The goal isn't just to achieve the jump, or at least it shouldn't be. The goal is to find a way to progress to committing to and learning how to do the skill because that's how you actually grow and become a resilient parkour practitioner athlete parkourist flumper so (laughs) yeah so so the the goal so again it's like um you know oh you know maybe i'm working with like a youth team member and they're like oh i want to do this this jump and uh, and so then they're like, they bring over this big blue block and, and a mat and whatever. And so that it makes it so that instead of being a gap between two walls, it's a gap between a wall and a curb that has foam underneath it. So it becomes this, um, it uh, totally changes the, the context mm-hmm. of the jump. And so now they don't need to learn how to land on that wall in multiple different ways. They just need to know how to land on the mat. And then once they feel comfortable landing on the mat, they can commit to the wall. So it removes so many elements of potential growth. And therefore, the goal for them in that moment is just to do the jump. But my goal as the coach is to get them to learn how to do the jump. And in that experience, they're not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I, actually another way I, I just was thinking it could be framed is a, a mat or a spotter is often a cheat code. Like if it were if it were a, a game, like like a video game you're playing, it's okay. I just type in this code and cool, I got supercharged and I beat the level or whatever. And so, and if that's, I would say that person then is not a good like. It's called a cheat code for a reason. That person is not actually a skilled gamer. They're using cheat codes to win to win or play the game. Versus if you're using the tools to then to then learn and like build up your stats or whatever. And and that's again the, the that's again the difference. So I think what what I'd actually like for people to do and and maybe this is a way that I, I could probably start 
framing it, at least when I'm coaching, is is asking people, is this a cheat code you're using right now? Or, or are you learning how to do this challenge, this move right now? Is this, is this a cheat code that you're just going to remove the mask so that we can get our Instagram clip and be done? Or are you gonna get in some reps after this and then, or, or am I gonna see you next week do something of a similar scale? Because mm-hmm. that would show me that you, without the masses, because that would show me that you learned. Because um, I can think in some, uh, plenty of scenarios for myself where I don't use mats too often. <laughs> um, but I have used those, those tools in, in the past sometimes, but it's always um, just because like, maybe just on the day, like, I can't break through. I'm not get. I'm not breaking through. I'm not breaking through. And I know if I use this code that uh, or this tool that it's going to allow me to 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 break through, and then I can just get rid of it, and then I can get some reps in, and, and you know, feel feel good about it. Because um, I've definitely done that before. Yeah, I guess like I just want to mention in the in terms of learning how to do a jump. I've, I've already, I've talked about like the setup of like, oh yeah, you got two walls and then you build up the foam and then Mm -hmm. you land on the foam and then you land on the wall and then Mm -hmm. it's cool. Take away that and then film it and then you're done. I, you know, there's a, in my opinion, there's a preferable way. It's the longer process of learning, but there's a preferable way and it's instead of you know, landing on top of the wall, you're learning to land on the side of the wall, you're practicing bounce backs, maybe you're doing a smaller jump and you're mm-hmm. kind of using analogous experiences to then pull into this new experience. So then not only do you know how to land on top of the wall, but you also know how to land on the side of the wall, you know how to execute a bounce back, you know how to do a crane, you know how to do any level of potential experiences that you might have and that is what gives you the confidence to actually go for the jump and there's so many other examples the jump is a really simple example but there's other examples of you know developing experience and using analogous scenarios to then pull into this new experience and that's how you progress and mats again are the shortcut to getting the, some of those experiences, but you're not going to get all of those experiences. And so there's a reason why people who are training parkour without the use of mats are generally, and especially if they're training outside where they don't have the use of mats at, at their disposal, they're going to be better, more resilient mm. parkour practitioners, more likely to be able to commit to jumps than somebody mm. who is always like, oh, dang, it would be really nice if I pull the mat over or a slant Mm -hmm. or you know some other way to like make it a use a cheat code Mm -hmm. um and there's things that you can do outside um as well um like uh tip over shopping carts and get your buddy to go inside (laughs) 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 to make something easier and more accessible but um but in general, like they're way more limited experiences mm-hmm. than than inside a facility, and and here and the thing is too, you know, if I go back, there are you know reasonable uses of mats in the gym experience, especially when you're learning flips or or dealing with inversions mm-hmm. where you're not very confident doing a skill yet, and so you're mm-hmm. still learning how to do it. Um, but the je- the gradual progression there is to eventually eliminate the mats and then not just el- eliminate the mats for that one scenario, but eventually be able to do that in other contexts as well, right? Mm. The goal is to 
be able to execute skills wherever you want in any context. And so the, if you're using mats as a way to build up to that, then that is the goal. Mm. Yeah. I think people have a very short-term vision, right? Mm -hmm. It's like, I want to do this jump. Mm -hmm. How do I achieve this jump? But the long game is mm. the one that they're really playing or they should be playing, which is not how do I do this jump today, but how does, how does, how does this jump help me with the next jump and the next jump and the next jump and the next jump? And so, you know, maths could be a part of that and maybe they're helping you build some confidence, but often they're used as a crutch and that's what we're talking about here. Yeah. And I, I think when you talk about the long game too, I, I think about all the, all the great uh, jumpers in, in parkour, all the great, the guys that do massive dive Kongs, massive running prees, um, massive like Kong prees, all that stuff. Anytime I ever see someone in a comment, ask them how they got good. Cause a lot of these guys aren't coaches, you know, mm -hmm. they're not, they're not um, working with people of lower ability over time. And so the number one piece of advice that I see time and time and time again is always, well, I started with ones that were a bit smaller and then I worked up over, over time I found. And, and how do you do that? It's not in a gym. That's they, they went outside, they started with, okay, I can comfortably running pre eight feet, right? I've, st I've just started parkour, that's this what I can do. And over time, they obsessed with the move and so every single time they came to a spot where there was one that was a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, and they gradually taught their body and their brain to do that. And, and again, it goes back to exactly what you're saying about playing the long game versus playing the short game of, okay, I'm going to use this mat to achieve this jump, but you didn't really spend enough time teaching your body or your brain that that distance was okay. Either there's a bunch of experiences in between, um, or at least that would have been achieved by repping it out afterwards, right? Like the repetition is very important, you know? And that's why. That's an old school quote for, for those of you in the audience. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's, so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it, the, it, the culture that we live in as well is focused on the success. Mm -hmm. You know, instant, we were talking about Instagram earlier. Instagram is, you know, 90% success when it comes to watching parkour. You're seeing jumps that were achieved seemingly yeah. instantly or, or without the battle. Say, or it's Bob Reese and, it's, and the whole progress is using mats. Oh, okay. Right. Not trying no, to hate on Bob. No I actually, hate, I actually no really hate. love Bob, but um, um, yeah, that's <laughs> but, but it's funny because his whole progression game is like, then we brought a block over or a mat, and then we removed the mats, and they got it. <laughs> yeah, and it made him really happy. Okay, so yeah, so ju so jumping. So wait, where was I going with this? What, what were we talking about? Oh, uh, so. <laughs> Instagram is very focused on just out like the outcomes, right? Mm -hmm. Not the not necessarily process, but outcomes. And sometimes there's some things that are included with process, but you don't often see the battle or the work that goes into it. And so that will influence your perspective on like, okay, so the goal is outcome. And so I'm going to I'm going to find a jump 
see if I can achieve the outcome I desire, and that's gonna be the, you know, the end of the game that I play, right? Um, but again, the long-term, the long-term vision is not just to be able to complete the singular isolated game of the one jump, but to be able to do repeated jumps over a long period of time and grow in the process. Um, so you are going to want to learn strategies for being able to problem solve each individual scenario. And how do you do that? You start small and you gain a lot of variable experiences. Um, and what does that mean? It means that you need to learn how to land on curbs. You need to learn how to land on walls. You need to learn how to land on the edges. You need to learn how to land on bollards. You need to learn how to land on railings. You need to learn how to stride on railings. You need to learn how to, and so, you need to learn how to land straight on. You need to learn how to land tilted. You need to learn how to land with a drop. You need to learn how to land going up. You need, how to, you need to learn how to fail all of these experiences. Bouncing back, bouncing forward, cranes, uh, wall splats, cats, cat bounce backs, you know, whatever we're calling it, any of these moves. The, the more experiences you get, with all different types of scenarios, the more resilient and the more capable of a parkour problem solver you're going to become. And that's ultimately what we're doing, right? We're, whenever we find a challenge in the environment, we're trying to solve the problem of getting ourselves to be able to commit to it and also control it. Absolutely. Um, we're running out of time here, but the uh, last thing is just like spotting yeah. in particular, because there's, because most most people aren't capable of uh, bringing mats outside or mattresses or carrying sand to, for a landing, uh, that doesn't that doesn't happen as frequently. But what we do see a lot of times is failed spotting, um, and a lot of times the reason it's failed spotting is much like the backflip scenario I was talking about earlier. People that spot backflips tend to have had some experience spotting backflips. <laughs> And you learn things every single time you spot someone doing a backflip, you see how they react and you make adjustments for next time. You, you have different communication with them, telling them what to do, telling them what you're going to do, come up with all these strategies. But I think a lot of times what happens in parkour is when spotters are called over, they have no idea yeah. what the strategy is gonna be. And they're just hoping, it's almost just like, I'm gonna stand here with my hands up and hopefully my hands are gonna be helpful in this scenario, but they don't really have an experienced plan of what's what's going to happen uh, <laughs> if if they are required to use their hands. Well, the thing, like, how, how many spotters have actually, like, how many people who ha have been called over to be a spotter for somebody doing a jump has ever had to use their spotting mm -hmm. to actually, like, prevent that person from getting hurt, or for mm -hmm. any person? Um, so it's so funny to me because so often when I see spotting happen in the environment, in the environment, <laughs> so often when I see spotting happen in parkour videos, I've, it, it's a, it's not people who have ever done spotting and they haven't practiced it. 
So like the experience that I had with Lucas and Silas when I did the, the dive through, we practiced it first, right? We didn't just say like, okay, I'm coming, dive, right? Catch me now. We actually like, I sat on the wall and I fell into their arms and still grabbed the thing. So it was like, this is how things are gonna like react. I'm gonna try to do this a little bit more dynamically and then eventually I'm going to actually dive through. So many spotting experiences I've seen in videos, if they, they would have turned out better had they done like a smaller prep where the spotter actually like was involved and put their hands on the person that they were spotting. Yeah. Well, that's the biggest reason why I can't recall ever calling over spotters. I've, I've thought about it and I've had people offer like if I stand over there and sometimes actually I, I can think of one scenario where I asked a person like, hey, can you just like stand over there? And then they did. And then I said, "Never mind, it's not helping," <laughs> because because again, we didn't practice anything, and it's like, okay, I would need to be, and usually it's too late, you know. Usually it's like I've worked up uh, a challenge enough, or for long enough that this is just kind of like a last thing to see. Like, right, this, is this gonna work? All right, can you run over there real quick? Uh, never mind, it's not working. <laughs> let's let's uh, I'll just go back to what I was doing. You know? Spotting is a skill. Mm -hmm. And it's a skill just like parkour is a skill, right? So mm -hmm. like if you're like, oh, I want to do this jump, but I don't know how my body's going to react to this position. Um, I'm going to go practice it over here in this smaller, less threatening scenario so that, and I'm going to practice the like vulnerable, potentially vulnerable position that I'm worried about first. And then when I'm, when I learn how to control that, I'm like, okay, I'm going to bring it over to the real scenario now and do it. Mm -hmm. That's how people should be approaching spotting too. Yeah. They should be practicing the, the outcome of the spotting and then, okay, this is getting, giving us more confidence. Now we can, now we can go into the real scenario with the added layer of confidence of like, this is what's actually going to be experienced when the spotting occurs. Yeah. So many spotting videos that I've seen in parkour, it's actually resulted in a worse outcome than if the person was just left alone. Yeah. I, I'm actually thinking too about some challenges that I've either walked away from or that I'm like approaching where a spotter might be useful. And after having this conversation and, and kind of like witnessing what happened yesterday with the thing, I was like, oh, okay. I think I know how I would approach this now if I actually wanted to use someone. Because it's the type of thing where like, okay, say you want to do like a cat leap and you want a spotter. You should probably get into the cat hang position on the other wall and have them catch you before you yeah. do the, before you do the actual jump. Or or even not even from a cat hang, have them just like carry your have you the one person or the multiple people that are going to help have them carry your weight in the position that you were going to fall in, and then see if they can actually drop you from the height. Because I, I think a lot of times that doesn't happen. It's just they're just uh, the person jumping and the spotter are just assuming that it's that either they're, they're not gonna be required or that it's gonna be okay. I think a lot of times it's just assuming like, oh, I'm just here for mental. I'm not actually gonna be required, right? And it's like, oh, you might be. Um, but again, they're just putting their hands out, assuming that, that something's gonna happen. Yeah, yeah. but there's, there, there are so many ways that, uh, that the spotting could actually be practiced. And that was the whole thing yesterday, was, <laughs> was just going through the motions of like, all right, can you guys carry me? Cool. Can you guys carry me if I sit down and fall backwards? Okay, cool. <laughs> Can you, okay, now I'm going to jump a little bit more. All right, sweet. And it's just a little bit more each time. 
Yeah, we practiced it <laughs> and then we implemented it and then we removed it because mm. we like mm. because I learned how to do the move without them. Yeah. And so that's kind of that was like a perfect it like it was a perfect example of mm. what goes into good spotting and mm -hmm. how can we make it a safe experience for all of us. Yeah. And then also give me the confidence to go for the the challenge that I was attempting. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's like a time investment too. Yeah, because I think a lot of times the the bad spotting or the the unprepared spotting is is simply because someone's trying to to work quickly. Yeah, and and they're not putting in. It's the same thing as uh, you talked about um, when we were talking about mats versus not using mats, and how you would progress a jump. Like, can you do? Can you splat a wall? Can you crane the wall? Can you do a bounce back? Can you can you slip out a bit and still save yourself? Can you? Do you have? habits and reactions that you've developed over time that are going to help you in this scenario and it's the same thing uh and and are, are you willing to pull them out in order to achieve are you willing to do this progression first or this prep first before committing full on and it's the same thing with with spotting that's going to take more time are you willing to practice with your spotters before actually coming into the jump. And I think most people aren't. I think most people are thinking like zero to 100 mm -hmm. instead of like the 60% effort attempt, the 70% effort attempt and, and all the other ones that that um, can build up the mental required to do the full send. Exactly. Well, I think we've drilled in that point pretty, pretty, <laughs> pretty deep. I, I mean, the, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I I think we can pull video of, mm -hmm. I mean, we're not going to put this in the podcast, mm -hmm. but uh, pull video of like so many examples of spotting going wrong. Yeah. And it's, it's going to be so clear which, um, or why all of them went wrong. Either mm -hmm. there should, the, the jump shouldn't have been spotted at all to begin with. And that person who was doing the jump should have been just preparing themselves better for the outcomes that might happen. Or it's a scenario where the spotting needed to be practiced. And if they aren't practicing the spotting, then they're not actually going to be a useful person in that scenario. So yeah, pra practice spotting your friends. If they ever, if they ever, if, if your friend ever asks you to spot them on a jump, tell them that you want to practice it first. Let's practice in a less threatening environment first before we go for the full send. Yeah. Because that's the responsible thing to do. Yeah. Tell them Tom and Renee sent you. That's right. <laughs> All right, guys. With that, um, thanks for tuning in today. Uh, please leave us a comment. All the comments do help the algorithm and this video to reach more people. Remember to like it. If you haven't subscribed yet, hit that subscribe button and we will see you in the next one.